Our scripture passage for today comes from various passages in the book of Proverbs. As we will be jumping around, please just follow along uh, as I read. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 21.5 In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Proverbs 14.23 Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that build your house. Proverbs 24.27 Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 15.22 Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Proverbs 16, 3. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning. Wow. This room is just getting more and more filled, and it's just making my heart fill with more and more joy. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back. Good to see all of you here who are in person. Of course, those of you who are joining us uh, online through YouTube, live streaming, we're so grateful that you're joining us today. Would you now bow your heads as we ask for the Lord to bless our time together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy as we continue our time in the summer, as we strive to stay cool, as we seek to build community yet again. We ask now that you would meet us through your son, Jesus Christ, that by his spirit you would gather not only us together in person, but gather our hearts with one singular focus, which is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. And Father, we know that one of the ways in which you extend this grace of mercy to us is through the preaching of the word. And Father, we know that the word is powerful. It is effective, not because of the one who delivers it, but the one to whom is being exalted in the delivery. And we ask now that as we sit at your feet, as we hear your word being preached and exposited, <coughs> that you would you make it effective in spite of the servant who gives it, and that all of us who have gathered here, either online or in person, would be enriched, would be educated, would be exalted into the heavenly places so we could see the source of all of our hope, all of our joy, the source of our very life itself, which is you, our great God. Oh, Lord, now hear us and now be with us as we hear from you. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, if you asked a bunch of random group of people what they would envision a stereotypical image of a typical New Yorker would look like, no doubt you would get a wide variety of answers. But I'm willing to bet that one recurring stereotypical image that they will give to you is that of the productive New Yorker. The productive New Yorker. You know that person who was always moving, always going, always working, always producing, always productive? And of course it makes sense because after all, we live in the city that is reputably known as the one that never sleeps and such an idea presumes this idea of a productive person. But what if I told you that if you asked the Bible, it would say to you a similar image in terms of what it envisions of a typical faithful follower of Christ? What's that? Yeah, it's true. The Bible would say that when it envisions a typical faithful follower of Jesus, it's a productive person, a person who produces. Let me prove it to you by reading to you the very first words of God speaking to mankind recorded in Genesis 1.28. I read, then, excuse me, then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. 
Here are the very first words that God spoke to mankind, which also happens to be his mandate for all mankind. And what does he tell us? What does he command? He says, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. I don't know about you, but that sounds like those things require a lot of productivity, right? It requires a lot of production. You see, contrary to what you may have thought, when God envisioned the kind of life that would be pleasing to him, it was one that was productive. And yet, here's what's so sad. So often, so many who call themselves Christians live the exact opposite of what we would call a productive life. And what makes it worse is that so many of them justify their lack of productivity with some sort of over-spiritualized excuse. Case in point, when I was in college, I had a classmate who also happened to be a fellow believer in Christ, a sister in Christ specifically, and every time I would look over to her sitting across the classroom, she would be doing this. Right? She would fall asleep in class, right? never taking notes, never listening to the lectures, never handing in assignments. Why? Because this girl was so preoccupied with Christian things, attending all-night prayer vigils, attending multiple Bible studies, going to multiple church services, to the point that she never cracked open a book, she never read any of her assignments, she never did anything but just stay up doing Christian things. And when I confronted her about her lack of productivity as a student, you know what she said to me? She said, John, it's more important following Jesus, it's more important to study the Bible than being a productive student. Now, I don't know what Bible study that she attended because clearly she was not reading the Bible that I read because she would have come across passages such as the following from the Apostle Paul. I draw your attention. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 11, we read, Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's businesses. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. The Bible makes it clear. A person who follows Christ is a person who is productive for Christ. But of course, that begs the question. What exactly does it mean to be productive for Jesus? Does that mean that we become workaholics for Jesus? Where we're always working, we're always on the clock, we never give in, we never rest, we never are at peace? Furthermore, does it mean that we become that crazy, controlling uh, freak who's always color-coding our calendars, putting a never-ending to-do list, and always budgeting our time? What does it mean to be productive for Christ? Because we all know that sometimes productivity can be overwhelming. Well, that's the series of questions that I hope to answer in today's message as we take a look at a various, various amounts of Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, because here the author, King Solomon, is going to teach us some profound principles that if we heed and apply to our lives, not only can we be productive for God, we can be pleasing to God with our productivity. So with that in mind, three things that Solomon tells us in terms of how we can be productively pleasing to God. First, he says, be diligent on your priorities. Be diligent on your priorities. Number two, be developed in your plans. And finally, be devoted to the right person. Be diligent on your priorities, be developed in your plans, and be devoted to the right person. Those are the three things that we must do if we want to live a productive, pleasing life to God. Let's begin with the first point. First, be diligent on your priorities. Christian, let me ask. Have you heard of the procrastinator's poem? The procrastinator's poem. You heard that one? Take a listen. I've gone for a drink, and I've sharpened my pencil, 
I've searched through my desk for forgotten utensils. I've reset my watch and adjusted my chair. I've loosened my tie and straightened my hair. I filled my pen and tested the blotter. I've gone now for another drink of water. I've adjusted the calendar and I've raised the blinds. I sorted the erasers all sorts of different kinds. And now down to work, I can finally sit. Oops, it's too late. It's time to quit. Christian, is that you? Tell me it isn't so, because if it is, that tells me that you are a brand of fool who, in the words of the famous coach John Wooden would say of, someone who mistakes activity for achievement. What's that? Yeah, it's true. You see, so often, so many think that you are a productive person so long as you're busy, so long as you're active, as if to say that the only thing that you need to make sure in order to be a productive person is to simply not be lazy or be inactive. Here's the newsflash, folks. You can be very busy, you can be very active, and you can also be very unproductive at the same time. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Notice what Solomon, the author, is doing. He's comparing between two types of people, one who is in abundance, the other is in poverty. And who exactly are these two people? The one in abundance, that's the diligent person. The one in poverty, it's the hasty. Yeah, the hasty. Now that doesn't make sense because you would imagine that the person in poverty is the lazy, inactive sluggard. But Solomon says, no, it's the hasty person. And if you just pause for just a moment and think about it, it makes total sense. Because what is a hasty person? A hasty person is someone always on the go, always on the move, always in a frenzy, kind of like the Tasmanian devil, right? Just going here and there and everywhere, just busy, 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 doing so many things without ever pausing to consider if what they are doing are things they should be doing at all. You see, one of the things that Solomon is trying to tell us here is that sometimes, many times, the greatest enemy to our productivity is not inactivity, but pointless activity. Let me say that again. One of the greatest enemies to our productivity is not our inactivity, but pointless activity, right? Being hasty. And Solomon says, that is not how we strive to be productive. No, if you really want to be productive in a way that's pleasing to God, you have to be diligent, diligent. Now, that word diligent is an English translation of the original Hebrew that literally means a sharp cutting object like a massive machete. And Solomon is trying to get a certain idea across by using that specific word. He's saying that if you want to be productive, you have to cut through all the distractions, all the detours, all the diversions that get in the way of you doing the things that you should be doing with your life. Now, for those of you who've read those time management books, those of you who've attended those productivity seminars, you know exactly what Solomon is talking about, right? What's he talking about? He's talking about our priorities, priorities. Now, what is a priority? Well, according to Stephen Covey, who's considered by many the guru of time management and productivity, he defines priority this way, quote, a priority is something that is important, but not urgent. Again, a priority is something that is important, but not urgent. Christian, you need to memorize this definition and you need to never forget it. You know why? Because so many people get this wrong. And what I mean by that is so many people think that if something is important, it's going to feel urgent. Right? And if something feels urgent, then it must be important. Wrong. 
Wrong, 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 wrong. That is not true at all. And to prove it to you, consider this chart that Stephen Covey puts in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This is known as the time quadrant charts, where on the left side of the chart is a vertical axis, where on the top of that axis you have things that are important, on the bottom are things that are unimportant, and on top of the chart is a horizontal axis, where on the left you have things that are urgent, on the right things that are non-urgent. Put together, you have what he calls the four time quadrants or what is sometimes referred to as the four categories of activities we spend our time on, where we begin first with the things that are important and urgent, things that do require your immediate attention, because if you don't, someone's going to die, some crisis is going to happen, some tragedy, right? And then you move on to the things that are important but non-urgent, things that don't require your immediate attention, but they're still very, very important, as important as the stuff that are important and urgent. But then we move on to the things that are unimportant, the bottom part of the chart, right? Where something, it can be important, but feels like it's urgent. That is, it feels like it requires your immediate attention, but in reality, it does not because it's not that important. And then the final category of time, the unimportant, unurgent stuff, right? These are the various four categories of activities that we spend our time on. Now, take an educated guess where most people spend their time on. That's right, the unimportant stuff. Either the unimportant stuff that feels urgent or the unimportant stuff that is non-urgent, okay? And according to Stephen Covey, he says that when you spend all your time on the unimportant things, the things that are important but non-urgent metastasizes, it morphs, it mutates into important and urgent things. Let me give you an example. When a father does not spend quality time with his young children, something that's important but non-urgent, he has to deal with the fallout of an important and urgent matter like his kids falling into the wrong crowd, falling into drugs, falling into prison. Right? Or let's say a person, when he's young, doesn't prioritize his health, doesn't diet, doesn't exercise, something that's important but non-urgent, and now he has to deal with the fallout of a heart attack, a stroke, important and urgent matters. Right? And Covey goes on to say that if, however, we spend most of our time on things that are important but non-urgent, not only do we avoid the unimportant matters, but we can reduce the important, urgent matters. We can reduce the unnecessary tragedies, the unnecessary crises, the unnecessary drama that we could avoid if we just spend our time correctly. That, Solomon says, is what it means to be productive. That is wisdom. That is productivity that pleases God. But the only way that is going to happen is if you are diligent, if you are stubbornly diligent on your priorities the things that are important but may not be urgent now of course that's easier said than done isn't it because who of us in here cannot admit that we fail to prioritize our priorities right don't we have things in our life that we know are important but don't feel urgent that we constantly neglect and furthermore can't we admit that we tend to do that extra binge watching on netflix you know unimportant unurgent Right? Or we do unimportant things that feel urgent all the time, always answering emails, always going and responding to a walk into your office unexpectedly. Right? Doing a productive life is very hard. Being diligent on your priorities is not easy. And so the question that arises from this is, how exactly do we pull this off? Well, the answer leads me to my next point. Be developed in your plans. Let's read 
uh, Proverbs 24, 14, and 15 all together in one reading. It goes like this. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Without counsels, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Okay, come on back. Here in these three verses, Solomon gives us three specific plans that we must develop if you really want to be diligent in hitting your priorities, okay? And they are as follows. First, you need a plan to plan. Number two, you must plan for resistance. And finally, you must plan with counsels. Those are the three plans that you must develop if you want to hit your priority. Plan to plan, plan for resistance, and plan with counselors. Let's begin with the first. First, plan to plan. Read again Proverbs 24, verse 27. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Here Solomon is talking about a real-life scenario of a young man trying to build a home literally and figuratively. In other words, he is trying to become a grown, responsible adult male to where he can create a home and fill that home with children, with a wife. But notice what Solomon says this guy has to achieve before he becomes this home creator. What? He needs to work outside, get a job, and he needs to prepare his fields. I mean, he needs to build enough savings to where he could provide for other people. You see, through this character of the young man, Solomon is trying to teach us what we must do if we want to hit our priorities. We must plan to plan. Plan to plan. Why? Because as they say, for those who fail to plan, plan to fail, right? If you want to achieve the things that are your true priorities, you have to plan for it. You need to plan on planning. But what do I mean by that? What is planning? Well, simply put, planning is where you do certain things a certain way in a certain order. Or as what is sometimes referred to as do the first things first. First things what? Do first things first. Let me illustrate with this story. A business professor walks into his classroom, a lecture hall, on the first day, filled with brand new students, and without saying a word, he marches down to the very front where his massive table is, and he puts on top of that table an empty glass jar, a massively big glass jar. And without saying a word, he proceeds to put big rocks into the jar all the way up to the brim. And then he asks his first question. How many of you guys in here think that I have filled the jar? Without hesitation, all the students raised their hands. And without saying a word, the professor responded by going under his desk, pulling out a small jar, this time filled with marbles, and proceeded to pour into that massive jar, filling in the spaces that the big rocks left behind. And to which the professor then said, now how many of you guys think I filled the jar to the full? This time, only a handful of students sheepishly raised their hands. And again, without saying a word, the professor went back under the table, put out another jar, this time filled with sand. And he proceeded to pour sand into that massively large jar, filling in the spaces that the rocks and the marbles missed. And then he said, now, how many of you guys think I completely filled this jar? And then again, without hesitation, all the students raised their hand. At that point, the professor had a little sneaky smile where he again went under his desk and pulled out a glass of water, and proceeded to pour in to that massive jar. That story illustrates what Solomon is trying to get at with this idea of planning to plan. If you want to hit your priorities, if you want to get the things that you must get done, you must make sure you first prioritize the big rocks, the first things, okay? Because think about it. What if that professor in the story 
started off by first pouring the water in, and then the sand, and then the marbles. Is he going to have any room left in that jar for the big rocks, for the first things? No. And that same principle applies to when it comes to filling up your schedule. Because just like that jar has limited space, your schedule has limited time. And so you must make sure that the first things that you do are the first things, not the secondary things, not the tertiary things, but the most important things. That's what planning to plan does. What planning to plan does recognizes that all of your priorities are not ranked the same in terms of importance. Planning to plan asks of you to look at all the priorities that you want out of your life to hit and ranking them in orders of importance and making sure that the things that are the big rocks are the ones that you first get to. That's what it means to plan to plan. Look at all the priorities that you have whether it's wanting to get married, whether you wanting to have a kid, whether wanting to have a house, whether wanting to work in the city, whatever they are, you have to make that hard choice of saying, which of these priorities am I going to first focus on so that I can hit the priority that I want to hit first, the big things, the big first things. And as you do that, you got to make sure that you're simultaneously planning for something else, and that is plan for resistance read again proverbs 14 23 it says in all toil there is profit but mere talk tends only to poverty you know one of the things that little children sometimes get asked by adults is this one hey there little man hey there young lady what do you want to be when you grow up and usually kids respond with really grandiose kind of delusional you know ideas like oh i'm first going to be an astronaut and then I'm going to be a K-pop star, and then I'm going to run for president, and then, you know, I'm going to be a reality TV star, right? And they're dead serious, and they're so sincere. And, of course, we kind of let kids get away with it because, hey, they're little children, and it's fine. But you know what's not fine? is when a grown adult still talks that way, and, in fact, only does that. Just talk, 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 talk. No action, no achievement, no accomplishment. Christian, do you know anyone like that? You know someone who just talks a big game about how they're going to change the world, but they never even change their bedsheets because they're always in bed? <laughs> Why are people like that? Solomon already told us at the beginning of Proverbs 14, and that one word, toil. Toil as in difficult, as in hardship, right? As in resistance. You know, one of the things that the Bible teaches and life confirms over and over that all the important things in life, the things that are worth doing, they are hard to do. They are so hard to do to where it's much easier to say you're going to do it than to actually do it. Listen, it's easy to say that you want to start a business, but it's actually hard to start a business and to sustain it. It's easy to say that you want a happy marriage, but it's so hard to actually get married and to stay married happily. It's so easy to say that you're going to run a marathon, but it's so hard to, to prepare for a marathon, let alone run for a marathon. See, one of the things you have to remember is that the first things in life, the big rocks, they're heavy. You have to do some heavy lifting for it to be carried out in your life, which means what? It means that as you seek to live a productive life, as you seek to live a life worth living, you need to mentally prepare for the resistance that you will face. You have to expect it. It is coming. Whether it's internal or external resistance, you need to learn how to push through it because if you don't, you're going to end up like that procrastinating fool who talks a big game but gets nothing done. Hey, by the way, while we're on the topic of procrastination, do you know one of the reasons why people procrastinate so much? It's fascinating with the studies that they've done. It turns out 
there are six common reasons or six triggers as to why people procrastinate. Take a listen uh, to what, it's, what it says here. One of the many reasons why people procrastinate is because the tasks that they do are either boring, like doing our taxes, they're frustrating, like learning a complicated new skill. They're difficult, like solving a math proof. Ambiguous, training for a marathon. Unstructured, undertaking a home renovation project. Lacking intrinsic rewards. Not getting feedback while we're writing a 50-page report. And not meaningful, like cleaning up the home office. A lot of the tasks that lead to us being productive and hitting our priorities can be difficult because of these six procrastinating triggers. And so what do you do? How do you overcome these resistance? Well, according to Chris... <coughs> Bailey, who's the author of the Productivity Project book, <coughs> he says, you have to come up with creative and innovative ways to overcome these procrastinating triggers. Take a listen to what he says in his book. He says this, quote, form a simple plan to make boring tasks more fun, like buying an audiobook for doing mindless chores around the house. Set a time limit for frustrating tasks, like making a game out of something we don't want to do by filing as many papers as we possibly can within 20 minutes. Work with someone on difficult tasks so we have more support while doing them, like hiring a virtual piano teacher instead of learning via an app. Make a plan for ambiguous and unstructured tasks, like taking 20 minutes to map out next steps for a home renovation project. Treat ourselves with doing unrewarding tasks, putting a dollar in a frivolous spending account for every five minutes we spend on our taxes. Journal about tasks we find meaningless in order to connect them with something deeper, right? One of the things that you have to understand is that as you plan to live out your life in a way that is pleasing and productive to God, you have to come up with creative out-of-the-box kind of thinking to where you're able to overcome these resistance. Now, I know some of you guys hear that, and you're like, uh, I'm in trouble, Pastor, because I'm not the creative type. <clears throat> I'm not filled with any sort of ingenuity. I don't tend to think out-of-the-box. I don't have fresh, innovative ways of how to overcome <clears throat> these natural resistance. But you know what? That's okay, because Solomon says you need to do something else on top of planning for resistance, which is the third plan. You must plan with counselors plan with counsel read again proverbs fifteen twenty two. without counsel's plans fail but with many advisors they succeed solomon makes it clear that if you want to be successful in living productively you cannot do it alone you cannot try to figure it out all on your own you need to enlist the support the help of advisors of counselors who have made a track record of being successful and being productive and hitting their priorities in their life practically that could mean Meet with someone who you know personally who's very productive with their life. Listen to some podcasts that address this very issue. Read an award-winning book written by a proven productive person so that you can develop your own unique productivity personality. Whatever the medium is, you need to make sure that you're leaning on, learning from, listening to someone who can serve as your counselor so that you can come up with creative ways of overcoming whatever resistance that you will face in being productive, okay? And just to kind of give you something to work off on, let me share with you some counselors who I've relied on over the years to step up my productivity game. The first is the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I've referenced it al already, right? A fantastic book. It's a game changer. It will change your life. Okay, get a copy of that. Read that book. I've read it five times. Right? It is such a life-changing book. Not as life-changing as the Bible, but you know what I mean, right? The second book, Atomic Habits by James Clear, a book I'm currently reading right now that they say is the gold standard of how to create good habits and how to get rid of bad habits. 
but you know, maybe reading is not your thing, which I know for some of you it's not. Take advantage of the podcasts, okay? Podcasts are awesome. You know why? They're short and they're free, right? There's so many wonderful podcasts that are out there that can enrich and educate and equip you to live out this kind of proverbial wise life that Solomon is telling us to live. Let me share with some of you the Beyond To-Do List podcast, the Accidental Creative podcast, the One Thing podcast, the Michael Hyatt podcast, the Thomas Frank podcast, one that I personally listen to and watch. And what's great about it is that <coughs> you can always speed up <coughs> the YouTube to like 1.75, which I know some of you guys do when you watch my videos preaching, right? Where I'm and I already talk pretty fast, right? You can do that. So a seven-minute podcast is like two and a half minutes. There's no excuse to why you should not take advantage of these resources that are available to you. You see? You need counselors to help you become productive. So there you have it, the three plans of how to be diligent on your priorities to be productively pleasing to God. Plan to plan, plan for resistance, and plan with counselors. Now, it's at this point you think there's nothing more for me to say, right, and that I can end my message. But I'm telling you now, if I ended my message leaving you with just this, I know that I'm dooming you for a downfall. And because I love you guys too much, I'm not going to do that. So let me now end with my final point. Be devoted to the right person. One of the things that you'll discover that all the time management experts and productivity gurus will say is this. If you want to be successful in being a productive person, you must be devoted to a specific person. Again, one of the things that time management experts and productivity gurus say constantly is that if you want to be truly productive, you must be devoted to a specific person, and usually that person is you, the person that you hope to be as a result of being so productive. Take a listen to how Stephen Covey explains it with his concept of beginning with the end in mind. He says this, quote, Begin with the end in mind means to start with a clear understanding of your destination. You need to know where you're going in order to better understand where you are now so that the steps you take are always in the right direction. It's easy to get caught up in an activity trap, in the busyness of life, to work harder and harder at climbing the ladder of success, only to discover it's been leaning against the wrong wall. One of the best ways to begin with the end in mind is to develop a personal mission statement. It focuses on what you want to be and do. It is your plan for success. It reaffirms who you are, puts your goals in focus, and moves your ideas into the real world. Your mission statement makes you the leader of your own life. You create your own destiny and secure the future you envision, end quote. Notice what he says. If you want to be productive, if you want to be that person, you must be devoted to yourself. Or as he puts it, be the leader of your own life. Be the one who fulfills your own destiny. And if you think about it, <clears throat> that kind of makes sense. Because as I said earlier, in order to hit your priorities, it does require facing resistance to where you will shed blood, sweat, and tears. And who else is willing to work that hard for you if not you, right? And so it kind of makes sense. And yet, on the other hand, as followers of Jesus, it seems a little off, doesn't it? Because is it actually true that you are the only person who is as devoted to you as you are? As if there's no one else who could be more devoted to you? As if there's no one else who would be willing to shed more blood, more sweat, more tears for you than you are willing to do for yourself? Consider what it says in our last passage, Proverbs 16, verse 3. It says, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Notice who Solomon identifies as the one to whom we should devote our work, our plans to. Is it to yourself? No, it's to the Lord. Why? Because Solomon knows what most productivity experts don't, and that there is someone 
who is more devoted to you, someone who loves you way more than you could love yourself, someone who's willing to spill more blood, more sweat, more tears for you than you could ever possibly do for yourself. It's God, right? And we see that message most preeminently in Scripture, specifically in the gospel message. Because what is the gospel message? The gospel message says that you and I are such selfish, wicked, perverted, dark, sinister people. And as a result, God, we don't deserve anything from God except his judgment, his condemnation, his wrath, his rejection, and his punishment. But God chose not to respond that way at all. Instead, he responds with what? Coming up with a plan, a plan from eternity past where he would come into the world as a moral human being, Jesus Christ, so that why? He could be the most productive person ever shedding the heaviest amounts of blood, sweat, and tears for you so that he could hit his greatest priority of all, which is what? To have you in his life, right? And not just have you in his life just generically, but have you in his life in a certain way. Because what is one of the many benefits that we get from the cross? We get the forgiveness of sins. So we're fully reconciled to him. And not just that, we also have the power to forgive other people who harm us to where we can restore relationships with one another. And not only that, we get the promise that the powers of evil that have weighed us down has been defeated and will be permanently defeated forever. These are just some of the blessings that we get when we put Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, when we trust him as the one who died on the cross for our sins, for our lack of productivity, for our lack of inconsistency. And when you understand that, that will completely change you to where you will not become the typical person who's very, very productive, who doesn't trust in Jesus. What do I mean? Let me explain. When a person is very productive and successfully productive, who are they going to praise? Who are they going to honor? Who are they going to celebrate? themselves right they're going to praise themselves honor themselves celebrate themselves what that's worship language folks right who are they worshiping themselves right and by worshiping themselves they see themselves as what they see themselves as god which means they see other people as what inferior to them and if these inferior people hinder or halt their productivity what are they going to do they're going to punish they're going to condemn they're going to judge they're going to become that narcissistic over controlling monster But if your productivity is in response to God's greater productive love for you, right, and you become productive in response to that, who are you going to honor? Who are you going to celebrate? Who are you going to recognize as the one who is the source of your motivation for your inspiration to be productive? It's going to be Jesus. And by recognizing Jesus for who he is, you're going to be completely opposite of that narcissistic, controlling, productive monster. Because first of all, you're going to remember you're not God. Jesus is. And second of all, days when you're not productive, days where you fail at being productive, right? You know that the God that you worship, he's forgiving, he's merciful, he's loving, and he's not going to reject you, he's not going to condemn you, and you don't feel this impulse to control things at all costs like those narcissists do. You see, it's only through faith in the gospel that not only can you enjoy the benefits of being productive, but you can be spared from the condemnation to when you're not. And as a result, you can grow from your failures, you can learn from your mistakes, and become more and more productive without requiring you to delude yourself that you're in control of everyone, and therefore you need to control everyone around you. I want to end my message with this very insightful quote from a Christian 
productivity expert. This is what Elizabeth Saunders says, and I really hope that you'll listen to what she says because I think it really hits home to the essence of what I'm trying to say here. Take a listen. She says this, quote, having the perception that you can manage everyone and everything around you is not something that God calls us to aim for in time management or in life in general. In fact, especially in regard to the future, God actively discourages us from believing that we are in control of our destiny. You should not put your trust in yourself or in your ability to organize or execute. One of the best indicators of where you have put your trust is how you react when your plans don't go as expected. If you become afraid or anxious, your trust most likely is in yourself or your plans. If you can stay calm and confident that everything will be okay, your trust most likely is in God. The next time you make a mistake, overlook something, or something doesn't go according to plan, keep calm and trust God. Remind yourself, I did my best. Then ask yourself, is there anything I need to do to make this situation right, either by taking action or apologizing once? Then ask yourself, what can I learn from next time? Once you've done what you can do and reflected on the lessons from the experience, give it to God and let it go. Give it to God and let it go. I think that is a very wise way of how you should live your endeavors to live a productive life that is pleasing to God. And so as we go out and as we seek to do the things that we must, make sure that you always seek to be in responsive mode of your productivity to the greater productive work of God for you in Jesus Christ. That is how you become a blessing to the people with your productivity and not a slave master to those that you're trying to bless with your productivity. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would help us to think through today's message, a message that was very practical, very focused on something that usually we don't think of, and yet something that we must. For Lord, when we don't produce, when we don't fulfill our promises, our plans, we lose credibility. And the message that we seek to share and live out loses credibility as well. Father, we pray that we would be men and women who are productive, but not in a domineering not in a deluded, self-worshipping manner, but a manner of a servant who is simply responding to the greater, perfect, productive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that it takes productivity to live the life that you called us to live. We must fulfill our promises. We must make our plans. We must execute our priorities. God, we pray that you would help us to do that as we seek to live it out faithfully before a watching world. May we be people who truly seek to learn from the great counselor of all, the Jesus that we worship, you are God, so that we can be a blessing to those around us as we produce the things that we do. Help us to live this out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to give the Lord his